Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Football Friday, and it is super, super exciting to be here today because, man, you know, it's the end of the week. People get pumped for Fridays anyways, and then during football season, we get the whole weekend to look forward to of watching what we hope is great football. And if you're a Wildcat fan, you're just, at this point, just kind of hoping for something competitive to show up on the field on Saturday, but we will have plenty to talk about with that. I have my final thoughts on uh, Arizona versus Oregon as the game will uh, will kick off tomorrow night at Autzen Stadium up in Eugene. Um, Jed Fish met with the media one more time yesterday. I'll have my, uh, my final thoughts on what he said yesterday in the, uh, in the press conference as well as uh, just some other news and notes and things like that coming out of, uh, of the, uh, the, the wire as far as yesterday and uh, this morning, uh, particularly pertaining to that game. Also, there's going to be an interesting article that was written by uh, John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before. Um, It was basically talking about the Pac-12, the state of the Pac-12, why they are where they are, what's the national perception of the Pac-12. And and look, it's something that we've talked about on this show plenty of times, and there's plenty of reasons why. And John did a a great job of uh, comprehensively kind of breaking down the numbers and things like that for us to kind of just look at as far as getting a, a numerical view, something that, that's tangible, something that we can we can you know hold in our hands and be like, oh look, there it is. That's a good reason why. Um, some of the reasons are reasons that we've spoken about here on the show uh, during our time, and some other things have, have are things that I just didn't even think about uh, or you know didn't have time to uh, to really assess. So <clears throat> we'll have uh, we'll have that for you as well. It's an interesting it's an interesting take and an interesting look at why the Pac-12 is where it is right now, which is not in a very good position, um, to be honest with you. And it's been trending downward for several years now. And uh, at this point, the you know the Pac-12 is is considered by many nationally to be just another uh, you know just another conference that's on par with some of the uh, non-Power Five conferences such as the Mountain West or the All-American Conference. So. There's uh, there's definitely some discussion to be had there. Some other news out of uh, out of Tucson last night, as uh, Arizona volleyball won their Pac-12 opener against the school from up north. At the school from up north, they won it up in Tempe in five sets last night. So congratulations to the U of A volleyball team, beaten up on uh, on the uh, the little brother, the little sister, I guess I should say. The Cats are down nine and three on the season, one and zero, of course, to start conference play. They're riding a four uh, four match win streak. Heading into this Sunday's match against Oregon State, they'll be hosting at the McHale Center. That game is at noon on Sunday. So if you're looking for something to do, not a big, uh, big, you know, NFL or not a big football watcher, or if you want to go and support one of the local teams, go and check out the uh, Arizona volleyball team this Sunday at the McHale Center at noon. Got a good squad, uh, really exciting team to watch, and uh, I expect big things out of out of uh, Dave Rubio's team this season. So, <coughs> pardon me. The, uh, the 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 vocal cords have not woken up yet this morning. Apparently, I've been awake for two and a half hours. Uh, vocal cords apparently have not been; they're still resting. So, my apologies. Uh, we have some uh, some big NFL games to, of course, break down for you. The biggest 
games of week three in the NFL. We've got four, maybe a, throw a fifth game in there that we're going to look at. I also have my NFL lock of the week, which is a bet that you can just take straight to the bank. I mean, just just, just count on it happening. It's going to happen. It's, it's like the inevitable. It's like death and taxes and my lock of the week in the NFL. So far, we're 2-0 and against the spread uh, this season. Last year, or last season, we had a, a nearly impeccable record last year in our locks of the week. And when I mean last year, I mean, uh, you know, before the uh, whole shutdown and everything like that. So we, uh, we have, uh, uh, we have a, a good record in our locks of the week, so you'll want to stick around for that. And then, of course, coming up at 8 o'clock sharp, my Friday Five. It will be the five picks that we have for you, the five premier games that I've chosen in college football for this Saturday, and they're Saturday-only games. I don't pick Friday games. Saturday-only games, and I have picked four, and then I have a special treat for you in uh, in pick number five. So stay tuned for that. We have a coin flip happening <laughs> for pick number five. I couldn't decide which game I wanted to choose, so I grabbed two of them. We're going to do a coin flip, and then I'll make my pick right then and there based on the coin flip with, with you know, just the, I guess, the cursory amount of of preparation that I've done for all the games and that I've been doing over the uh, over the, the course of this season in the in college football. So we'll have that pick for you coming up uh, again the Friday five at eight o'clock here. All the uh, the breakdown of the the biggest college football games. We'll also talk plenty of Pac-12 football as conference play officially begins this week in college football. Speaking of conference play, the Wildcats heading up to Eugene to take on the Oregon Ducks, the number three ranked team in the country. And, uh, you know, look, th- we, we all know what, what's at stake here. Uh, Oregon has is a huge favorite in the game. Uh, I believe that uh, number is now ballooned to about 28 and a half in a, in a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the odds makers. That game's going to be on ESPN. So the good news is, is that everyone can watch it. <laughs> so that's, that's good news. Sure. Uh, kickoff is slated for 7.30. It's an ESPN game, so count on about 7.40. Tuning over to uh, ESPN News <laughs> to watch the f- opening quarter of that game because just inherently it's going to happen. Whatever game plays before Arizona does on ESPN is going to go down to the wire, probably go into like triple overtime. It seems like it always does. Whenever Arizona gets on ESPN, it all the game before, it could be UTSA versus Marshall. It doesn't matter. That game is going, and they can't break away from it contractually. So they got to start the other game on ESPN News, and we got to scramble, like, where's ESPN News? Where's it at? So be ready for that, fans, because it's, you know, again, death taxes, the NFL lock of the week, and Arizona games being put on ESPN News for the first eight minutes of the first quarter because the previous game is trying to contend with being the longest football game in the history of college football. Um, Looking back at, uh, at last night, uh, the NFL action, of course, on uh, Thursday night, it was the Panthers and the Texans. Panthers taking care of Houston, twenty-four to nine. That game was uh, that game was ugly. Like, I mean, it, there wasn't a whole lot of like mistakes, man. In fact, I don't think there are any turnovers in the game. Um, but you know, we got what we expected out of Houston. I thought they were they were game for the fight. I thought they they played as well as they possibly could. But the Panthers were just teeing off on poor Davis Mills. And, uh, you know, that uh, that kid played as hard as he could. And, you know, we, we remember Davis from his time here, of course, in the Pac-12 at Stanford. Um, I thought he played, you know, as well as he could. I think he was 19 of 28, 
for you know, 168 yards, something like that. And uh, Sam Darnold played well again. You know, we talked about Sam Darnold yesterday on the show and how Matt Rule has done a wonderful job kind of getting him to look like the quarterback that he was coming out of high school uh, when apparently he got ruined by Clay Helton and USC. You know, we nicknamed him the Stormtrooper. Uh, has not played well in the NFL up to date. But last night, once again, 23 of 34, 300 yards, no touchdowns, but no interceptions either. So, you know, he's he's doing he's doing some good things. And, look, granted, he, he was practically throwing against air last night. Uh, Houston's defense was not very good. They weren't great at covering tight ends. He missed a few wide-open shots in the passing game. Um, so there's still a long ways to go for Sam Darnold and for the, the Carolina Panthers. The good news for them is they're 3-0. and The Panthers are 3-0 and under Matt Rule and Sam Darnold, and they haven't even really begun to scratch the surface at how good and how efficient they could be, uh, you know, given the amount of time that is needed and for Sam Darnold to get comfortable with that offense and whatnot. You know, they did lose Christian McCaffrey to an injury last night. We'll keep a close eye on that. Of course, uh, fantasy owners not happy about that. Again, nobody cares. But um, Panthers are 3-0, and beating the Houston Texans. Texans are what we thought they were. They're a one-and-two team. They, they've got some fight to them. They just don't have any, very much talent, unfortunately. And the offensive line is terrible. And they're going to get somebody killed back there because even in the fourth quarter, Carolina was just teeing off. Like, they were pinning their ears back. They were coming after Davis Mills. I think he got hit 11 times in that game, sacked four more times. That's a lot of quarterback hits to take. Um, so hopefully he can he can mend up because it, they're probably going to be without Terod Taylor again next week, depending on uh, how that hamstring is healing up. So there's your NFL action for last night as the Panthers again moved three and zero. Very impressed by what I'm seeing, and, and I'm not surprised. I you know I I've mentioned on this show several times, including yesterday, what how highly I feel and how highly I think of of uh, Matt Rule as a coach and Joe Brady as an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, there are good, you know, even better games in the future ahead for the uh, for the Carolina Panthers. So nice start to the season for them. They've got Sam, Sam Darnold figure things out. If they can stay healthy, they could be a problem for uh, for wildcard teams moving forward. I, I, look, I don't think they're going to challenge Tampa Bay for that division. I, re- I mean, I really don't think so. Uh, but I guess anything's possible in this day and age in the world of football. But let's start again with college football. My final thoughts on Arizona versus Oregon. Now, I mentioned yesterday that Noah Sewell would not be playing. That's my bad. He is going to be playing. Um, He wasn't mentioned in the injury report after not playing in most of the game against Ohio State. Uh, He wasn't mentioned last week, even though he played against Stony Brook. They didn't mention him as, you know, the reports that I got didn't say whether he was healthy or not. So I was like, well, he must not be healthy. And then he wasn't on this week's report. I'm like, okay, well, he must still be out. Uh, but, no, he's playing. So that's bad news for Arizona. they gotta, they got to contend with him. He is one hell of a football player. And uh, he's number one, he wears number one on defense, middle linebacker. He is running downhill at full speed at all times. He's a big hitter. He's a fearless player. He is as good as they come at the position. So, uh, you know, while I, it's it's fun to watch him play because of the way that he plays football, I just wish that he wasn't going to be playing against Arizona on Saturday because he is a big difference maker on that defense. Now, Jetfish wouldn't budge on the starting quarterback for Saturday's game. Maybe it's gamesmanship. Maybe it's you know maybe it's just the fact that he really doesn't know. 
But based on his body language and the way that he answered questions yesterday, I think it's fairly obvious. And we look, we noticed it three weeks ago before the BYU game when he said that, you know, we're going to go with two starters. It's going to be, uh, you, know, a, 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 you know, a carousel essentially or, you know, whatever he called it, of, of Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer. And you could tell at that time that he was disappointed that neither of those two rose to the occasion to take the number one job. I think he's getting tired of these quarterbacks not being able to perform well enough in practice for him to give a definitive answer on who's going to be his starter for the game and for for the rest of the season. Uh, Jordan McLeod showed flashes, of course, in his in his series. The, you know, the, the the drive that at the end of the NAU game again that was against an NAU team that was up by eight points, and it was against NAU. Period. So, you know, it's take it with a grain of salt. Okay. We saw what the, you know, we don't get to see. What, we don't get to see what they do in practice. Uh, only Jetfish can see what they do in practice. So, to me, it looks like he's a head coach that is right now just completely just. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if disappointed is the word. I, he looks like he's just sick and tired of not having a quarterback rise to the occasion. However, you're a head coach of a football team. Uh, life isn't fair. Coaching is tough. You got to make a decision. Period. You got to make a decision. Now it doesn't have to be made for today's game, or uh, for tomorrow's game. This for this week against Oregon because you get the bye week coming up. But if they don't have a starting quarterback named and have have some conviction and assertiveness and confidence behind that uh, that quarterback being named going into their fifth game of the season after the bye week, then questions are going to have to start coming out about his coaching ability. I mean, really, this is your first test. This is your real first test as a head coach, managing the roster, managing the people on your team. Those players, 118 of them, young men under the age of 22 years old, are looking at you for leadership, looking at you for direction, looking at you for some, some you know, just any, anything, any kind of a, a solid or a positive note on this football team. They're looking to you for that. You have to take that on yourself. You're the head coach. You have to do this. Now, again, not naming a starting quarterback to the media uh, yesterday may not mean a whole lot of, you know, in, 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 the, in the grand scheme of things. But if they do not have a starting quarterback named and somebody who's going to get all of the reps in practice during the bye week and going to be the starting quarterback from play one to play 77 in the in you know the game when they come back from uh from the, from the bye week the home game against UCLA then questions have to start coming out about his decision making just it, i mean that's just the way it is you have to bite the bullet you're the head coach you wanted this job like i said coaching's tough life ain't fair you got to make a decision it has to come from your mouth you have to lead this team nobody's going to step up okay Nobody's going to – none of these three quarterbacks have apparently taken it on themselves to be the better man at that position throughout practice or throughout the games. You now have to do that for them. You have to make the decision that's best for the team. And what's best for the team is, is, is a, a feeling of, of solidarity. They need a solution. They need closure. <laughs> I mean, something. You you have to make that decision for them. If nobody's going to step up and make that decision on their own, then you have to do it. You have to be the head coach of these young men and say, 
you know, whoever, whomever. Gunnar Cruz is going to be my starting quarterback moving forward. Will Plummer is going to be my starting quarterback moving forward. Jordan McLeod is going to be my starting quarterback moving forward. One of those three names has to come out your mouth sometime during the bye week or before week five when the UCLA Bruins come to town. Just a fact of life. Can't You can't go through this entire season, especially being in the situation that Arizona is in with the losing streak and I mean, let's be honest, with the play of all three quarterbacks, there's not a whole lot of confidence from anybody in regards to how three, the, how those three have played. You have to be the one that instills that confidence in them. Just the way it goes. Part of being a head coach. It's like, it's like being a parent. Okay, there's, there's challenges that come about that you know are going to happen. <laughs> okay, you, you know that you're going to have to make some tough decisions for your kids some days. Just got to rip that Band-Aid off, man, because the, the, you know, the team needs you right now. You know, the family needs you. The team needs you, whatever have you. Uh, it's, it's a very, very similar parallel. So don't know who's going to start uh, Series 1 for the Wildcats. My guess, it's going to be Jordan McLeod. It could be Gunnar Cruz. We know it won't be Will Plummer because, according to Coach, he's dinged up and uh, got banged up in the, uh, in the NAU game and uh, may not even be available for the game against Oregon. So it's either going to be McLeod or Cruz. I've said all week I think it should be McLeod, and it's not because of his performance. It's because of his experience. He has experience playing in front of visiting fans at big stadiums, something that, uh, uh, that the, other, the other two, or at least Gunnar Cruz, you know, for that matter, he has the one, the one start against BYU on a neutral site. Now, granted, there was a lot of BYU fans in the stands that day, but nonetheless, not a visiting, true visiting crowd. So, uh, again, I think it should be Jordan McLeod. We'll see what happens. We'll see if that announcement comes today, or if they wait until tomorrow, or if they do the, you know, the the the, the thing that's been going on for the last decade or so, where they do the or, you know, where it's like this person or this person is the starter, which I absolutely can't stand, but it's the way it is in college football right now. Join Spears and Ali for Monday Night Football as they broadcast their show live from Famous Sam's on River in La Choya. It's a clean and friendly atmosphere to hang out with. You've got family and friends in town. Feel free to bring them down for Monday Night Football. Enjoy the 42 television, over 40 beers on tap. And they got a great menu, of course, at Famous Sam's. Come down to watch So the, uh, the live broadcast with Spears and Ali. They'll have some uh, ESPN Tucson swag with the uh, promotions team. And, of course, you can check out the, uh, the action of Monday Night Football the Cowboys and the Eagles, big game on Monday night. We'll have a full breakdown for that uh, game for you on uh, on Monday. But uh, hang out with Spears and Ali Monday nights at the Famous Sam's on River and Lachoya for some Monday night football. When we return, the Pac-12's performance in the non-conference portion of the schedule has been <laughs> lackluster, to say the least. Why? That's next on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this football Friday. Talking basically nothing but football today. Uh, We'll have our uh, NFL game breakdowns coming up in just a little bit. And, of course, my Friday Five coming up at 8 o'clock. Now, the Pac-12... We, we understand that it has some deficiencies, right? 
we understand that it has not been as competitive as we would like it to be on the national spectrum. The Pac-12 has not competed for a national title in quite some time since Washington had made it into the uh, the college football playoff. or the It's not even a playoff. It's an invitational is basically what it is. But um, haven't made it into the college football invitational tournament <laughs> since uh, since Washington, uh, of course, made it in there. So it, it's been it's been quite some time since the Pac-12 has been relevant national title wise on the uh, on the scene of college football. Now, when you look at the way that the non-con has played out so far this season for the Pac-12, it has not gone well either. The Pac-12 has just one undefeated team, which is Oregon. Okay, everybody else has at least one loss, some three. Um, however, the Big Ten. The Big 12 and the SEC, considered the three big uh, contenders, the big big performers, largest performers at least, in the national spectrum, they each have six undefeated teams. Okay, uh, And the Big 10 only has, you know, ten teams in it. So, uh, granted, we'll get into some of the reasons why that is. The Pac-12 has two losses to FCS opponents. Montana and NAU have both won games in Pac-12 countries so far this year. The Big Ten, Big 12, and SEC have none. The, SEC, the ACC has one when Jacksonville State beat Florida State. The Pac-12 has a 3-6 and six record this season against other Power 5 leagues. Now, the ACC is currently worse. They're 3-8, and eight, but they also played some really stiff talent, a really stiff competition in a couple of those games. Clemson and Georgia, of course, that's kind of an even match, but I think we've all come to figure out that Georgia's a much better team than Clemson is, at least right now. The Big Ten, the Big 12, and the SEC, same contenders all again that we're talking about, are all above 500 in their head-to-head matchups against other Power 5 conferences. And... The performance against group of five teams, non-Power 5 conferences, the Pac-12 is the only Power 5 conference with more losses than it has wins. Yeah, it's under 500, the Pac-12 is, against group of five competition. In fact, it has as many losses, eight, to the group of five, as the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC and the ACC combined. Big 12 lost one game. The Big 10 lost one game. The SEC lost two games. And the ACC has lost three. That's eight. Uh, that's a problem. Now, it's a problem when you look at it nationally and you say, well, it's, look how inept the Pac-12 is. Once again, uh, we, can, we can see why. You know, the Pac-12 just doesn't compete on a national level. Well, there are plenty of reasons, and I'll get to that. But until then, the numbers continue to get worse because you have to look at some of the ways that the Pac-12 has lost and the teams they've lost to. Now, Cal lost to Nevada. Washington State lost to Utah State. BYU is 3-0 and against the Pac-12 South this year. In week one, you know, we laughed about the Pac-12 South last week going 1-5. and Well, it happened in week one in the north. Washington lost to Montana. And Washington State lost to Utah State. There was there was a lot of of poor play in Week One from the North. Poor play in Week Three from the South. Now, some of the reasons have been going on for a long time, right? There's been there's been plenty of reasons why. Now, all these deficiencies that we've just talked about can be traced back to one thing: money. Money. That's 
plain and simple, the biggest problem, the largest disparity between the Pac-12 and the other four Power 5 schools is money. Now, part of the reason why there hasn't been the, the flow of revenue coming in is because the teams have, well, the Pac-12 has really poor bowl alliances, number one. They, they have the, the Rose Bowl. Other than that, it's trash. Okay? You look at the, you look at the bowl lineup for the Pac-12, and you're like, ooh, ooh, mm, eh. El Paso, yay. San Diego, oh, boy. I mean, it's, it's not exactly blowing people's skirt up. Meanwhile, you've got great matchups between the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Big 12. they got some great bowl tie-ins. Pac-12 bowl tie-ins are crap. In fact, some of the Pac-12 bowls are, are jumping ship. They're like, yeah, we're not going to have a bowl game this year. We can't afford it. Okay? So that's part of the problem as far as money goes. Another part of the problem is, is that the Pac-12 hasn't been able to, and it's all cyclical, Pac-12 hasn't been able to play in those New Year's Six games as often or as as you know, as I guess as prominently as we had hoped they would. You know, one CFP appearance in the in the history of that uh, that iteration. You know, it's just not making enough money from playoff games and from New Year's Six games. But really, what it comes down to is an extremely poor television contract. Its distribution contract has been utter crap for the last decade, and it has crippled this conference in, in, in ability to perform nationally, compete nationally with the other Power Five conferences. Crippled it. Now, why does money, how, do, how does money affect the, the product on the field? Well, I mean, it's, it's real simple, folks. The money drives everything. Money is going to drive recruiting because you know, not only are these, these teams in the Pac-12 competing with, uh, with, with one another for West Coast recruits, but now, I mean, it's been well documented that top-tier talent is heading east. And they're not just going to Texas and Oklahoma. They're heading into the SEC. They're heading to the ACC. DJ Uyunglele, top uh, quarterback out of Southern California, now the starting quarterback all the way over at Clemson, South Carolina. They're going into the Big Ten. They're going all the way across the country to the likes of Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, it's, it's just it's been a real problem of kids wanting to leave. Why? Well, if you take a look at facilities and things like that across the country, the top 25 facilities in the country. Now, I, I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about reasons why some of the jobs are the best jobs in the country. When you look at facilities, the top 25 schools in the country, I would be willing to bet, and I didn't take account of this, I'm just kind of going off of memory, I would be willing to bet that 22 of them, 22 of the top 25 are east of Colorado. And it might even be 23 of 25. We might only put USC and Oregon in the top 25. That's just not enough. So teams are not able to build their facilities up, which means it's more difficult to recruit. Whenever you talk to a head coach and they say, what's one of the major, one of the major uh, you know, boosts that you can give to your program in order to boost recruiting? Every single one of them will tell you facilities. Every single one. Period. All of them. 100%. 130 coaches, head coaches in the, in the country, in the FBS. If you ask them, what's the most important thing that you can do to spend money on to boost recruiting? They will tell you facilities. All 130 of them. 
100%. And if one of them doesn't say facilities, they're lying. They have an agenda on something else. <laughs> they're looking for money for something else. They're looking for a private plane or something. It's facilities. And if you're, if you're losing $42 million a year because your television contract stinks and can't afford to keep its teams above water, guess what happens? Well, you don't get to build that new weight room. You don't get to update your practice, uh, your, your, your movie facility to, to watch films. You don't get to have all the cool stuff. You know, like Oregon, obviously with the Nike money, that certainly helps. They've got Ferrari leather on the couches and chairs in their players' lounge. Ferrari leather. Like, like yeah, straight up imported from Italy, from the Ferrari factory. Okay. Meanwhile, Arizona's like, well, let's see if we can get some folding chairs in here. We can, uh, we can make some room at this table over here. It's real, folks. You go to Alabama, and they've got Gucci and, uh, and uh, Louis Vuitton bags for their guys. They got, uh, uh, you know, the, the best types of uh, locker room facilities. I mean, it's, it's amazing the amount of money that they spend making sure that they can recruit players. And it's not just with recruiting. It goes a long ways beyond that. And we'll talk about that coming up after the break. FanDuel Sportsbook wants you to get the most out of every play, and that's why they're giving everyone a $10 risk-free bet every single week. All you have to do is bet a same-game parlay bet with three legs or more, if your bet doesn't win, FanDuel will pay you back up to $10. Now, if you want to keep it local this week like I am, you got the Cardinals and the Jaguars. I love the Cardinals to cover the touchdown spread. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. And I'm going to go ahead and build an SGP, which is what they call it on FanDuel, by coupling that with a Cardinals first-half spread and a first-quarter over-under. So I'm going early. I'm going to try to cash in that ticket early. And it's great to cash in those tickets early. It feels good to nail a same-game parlay bet. And there's reasons why America's number one sportsbook is FanDuel Sportsbook. Fast payouts, it's easy to use, safe and secure app. Uh, when, you, when you download the app, you can use facial recognition to log in. Uh, it's super secure. And, of course, you get payout within, uh, within 24 hours of winning. If you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook, you can also claim 30-to-1 odds on either team to win the Monday night game, Philly and Dallas, while you're watching it there at Famous Sam's with Spears and Ali. You can be watching with 30 to 1 odds on either team to win, but you've got to use my promo code DEAN. If your first, if your first bet loses, you're going to get up to $1,000 back in site credit. It's just that simple, folks. That's the promo code DEAN, D E A N. Get your 30 to 1 odds on either team to win the Monday night game. Get your $1,000 uh, site credit back if you don't win. And you can also get the $10 risk free bet every single week. All of that is included. Go to FanDuel Sportsbook today. 21 and over in President Arizona. Refund issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund is $10. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Same game parlay is available for multiple sports in all states on mobile and web. If you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342. More from the Pac-12 after this on, Jeff, on the Jeff Dean Show, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to Jeff Dean Show here on a football Friday. Talking the Pac-12 and their performance so far in the non-con, which has not been good. Now, some of the reasons why, okay? We talked about money. Money controls everything, especially in college football. 
we can trace everything back to that. But let's let's dig a little deeper. Let's not paint with such broad a brush right now. Okay, we know that money is the problem. But specifically, what are the issues? Why is the Pac-12 struggling so mightily right now? Well, as I mentioned, many of the top prospects are signing elsewhere. They're heading east. They're heading to other programs. They're going to other big programs, but they're also going to small programs here locally. You know, one of the one of the things about the West Coast is there's a lot of big schools and not a whole lot of little schools, right? You know, I mean, there's there's you know, you, you look at the look of the conferences here on the West Coast. You've got the Pac-12, obviously. Then you have the WAC and the Mountain West, and that's pretty much it. And then look at the success of those conferences compared to the other non-Power 5 conferences across the country. The Mountain West has arguably, arguably been the most competitive uh, national non-Power 5 conference in the country the last decade. They're getting the kids who don't want to – okay, so the kids who don't want to go all the way east, they want to stay home, but aren't getting recruited or are getting passed over by Pac-12 teams are now going and staying. They're staying in San Diego. They're staying in Nevada. They're staying in you know other parts of California, northern and southern California. Okay, that's why Fresno State is doing so well. San Diego State. I mean, they got Greg Bell Jr. is their running back, the son of former USC standout. So. The kids are staying home. They're just not going to Pac-12 schools. Why? Is recruiting gotten so bad amongst the Pac-12 that they're they're only offering you know big time uh, big time recruits from the from you know from California from the West Coast and then they're looking at Texas and Florida for everything else? Has the influence of head coaches coming across from the East to the uh, to the West or from the Midwest to the West? affected how they're recruiting the West Coast. I mean, it certainly could be. You know, one of the biggest issues, and and we've talked about this many times, uh, not only on this show, but I've talked with it uh, about, I've talked about it with coaches, uh, whether it's in, whether it's at Arizona or throughout the Pac-12, other people who cover Pac-12, whether it be, you know, broadcast-wise, writers, um, or former players is the lack of size and talent that the Pac-12 was able to attract on the lines of scrimmage, both both sides. Okay, Oregon kind of breaking the mold on that. Oregon has done extremely well in recruiting the uh, the trench play for their for their team, and there's a reason why Oregon is now the number three team in the country, and they're the only undefeated team in the Pac-12, and they're consistently the most physical team in the trenches in the Pac-12 year in and year out now that Mario Cristobal has gotten there. Now, I, you know how I feel about Cristobal's coaching. I don't think he could coach his way out of a wet paper bag. However, the dude can flat-out recruit, and he's got a tough-minded approach to the way he likes to play football. He knows the dudes he likes to recruit. He knows the game of football that he likes to play, and he gets those dudes in there, and they have the best offensive and defensive line play in the conference year in and year out, have ever since he got there. But the other 11 teams are struggling to find size and talent on the lines of scrimmage, even USC. If you watch USC play this year, you watch them play last year, the year before, they're nothing special up front on either side of the ball. I mean, they've got some some pretty good players. I mean, they've gotten some good edge rushers over the time. Some, and you know, I'm not talking about linebackers, but, uh, you know, they've had some – some talented left tackles here and there sprinkled in. They're, you're going to get that. You're going to, you know, you're going to get the top one player uh, at that position. But consistently, 
has not been good. They've lacked overall talent on the offensive and defensive lines for quite some time. And the other, uh, the other, the other nine schools, not named Oregon, uh, are are struggling as well. I mean, Utah has done well because number one, they have a lot of stability at the head coaching job. Kyle Whittingham, of course, been there seems like forever. Uh, but they also have 25-year-old dudes playing on the offensive and defensive lines. They've got grown-ass men playing in those positions because of the type of program that they have and uh, the school and the state that they're in. Okay? So size and talent has been an issue. We've seen it at Arizona. It's very, very, very obvious at Arizona. Uh, Rich Rodriguez was able to handle that. We were able to go to a Fiesta Bowl regardless of the fact that we had an average weight of about 280 pounds on the offensive line, which is what high schools are rolling out with right now, because Rich Rodriguez is able to, you know, kind of mastermind and scheme his way into, you know, one of the greatest uh, running uh, rushing offenses in the country. He just knows how to do it. He knows how to get the right guys in place to stay away from the situations where they need to go heads up against another defensive line that's bigger and stronger than they are. Now, the real problem this year, looking at this year, because I want to focus on what's happening right now, because it's been ugly in the non-con so far, really ugly. We talked about it, I think it was yesterday or the day before, just how bad quarterback play in this conference is this year. I mean, it's, it's been really bad, really bad. You look at up and down the conference, and you're like, okay, who are the best quarterbacks in this conference? I mean, Anthony Brown is the is the the quarterback of the top team, considered the top team, Oregon, and he's never had better than a fifty nine percent completion percentage in college football. He's playing his sixth season in college football. Twenty four years old. <laughs> I mean, that's the best that they've got. Keaton Slovis, highly rated, preseason All American, all this other stuff. Gets hurt. Jackson Dart comes in, throws for 400 yards against Washington State. Now he's hurt. Now they've got to bring Keaton Slovis back in. They're like, oh, we have to play with Keaton Slovis now. Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, highly touted. A lot of preseason accolades for Jaden Daniels. You watched him play this year? Terrible. I mean, I mean, just flat out bad. Indecisive. Uh, the decisions he is making aren't going uh, in, in, in ASU's favor. He's choosing to run with the football as opposed to throw the football. And when he does throw the football, he throws with the wrong guy or it's a bad pass. He's looked awful. And then, of course, we know what the situation is at Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, although they may have found their quarterback, Washington, Oregon State, Utah. They just had Charlie Brewer transfer. He got benched and transferred. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to be benched here. I'm out. Okay. Bye. I mean – Really, you look at the other three teams, okay, USC, UCLA, uh, they got DTR who can't throw a football. They're better when he throws the ball fewer than ten times a game, which tells you everything you need to know about UCLA's offense and their quarterback position. Quarterbacking is terrible this year in the Pac-12, and that's rare. Quarterbacks are usually, uh, you know, really, you know, really good in the Pac-12. Who did we miss out on in the Pac-12? Well, they're playing right now. You might have heard of a guy named Matt Corral. Plays for Ole Miss. He's from, he went to Long Beach Poly. Guess who he wasn't recruited by? 11 of the 12 teams in the Pac-12. Went to Ole Miss. Guy's going for 500 yards a game. Carson Strong. You may not have heard of him, 
but I guarantee you NFL scouts have because he's going to be a first-round draft pick coming up in the, uh, in the upcoming NFL draft. Plays for Nevada. Guess where he's from? Northern California. Guess who he didn't get recruited by? Pretty much everybody. Jake Hayner, a guy who I have touted here for the last uh, week or so, specifically after his gritty and gutsy performance against UCLA, winning the, uh, the game in comeback fashion twice in the Rose Bowl against that UCLA defense for Fresno State. He started off at Washington, began his career at Washington, and then he decided to transfer because Jimmy Lake was like, nah, I don't know about you. I think we're going to start this, uh, this, this other guy. I mean, like, and he's like, okay, well, I'll just go here to Fresno State and start there, and I'll probably throw it for like 5,000 yards this year, and I'm the toughest guy in the country. It, it's just it, it's, they're not doing a good job of assessing the talent that we have right here in our own backyard and getting those guys to stay here. They're going elsewhere. And then the other problem is, is they're staying close to home, Nevada, Fresno State, and then those teams are beating Pac-12 teams with Pac-12 caliber quarterbacks that the Pac-12 teams currently don't have. It's a big problem. There was another problem as well. The COVID-19 impact on Pac-12 football. Pac-12 played five games last year. They tried to slam a season together at the end of the year in November, and we're like, let's, let's squeeze in five games. I was, people were like, why? What's the point? We haven't practiced. We haven't done anything. We get a week of practice. We got to go play games now. There was horrible protocols in place for the COVID, uh, you know, for the COVID protocols were awful in, in place. Meanwhile, every other, every other league is playing 10, 12 games. BYU played 12 games last year. Guess what? They're 3-0 and against the Pac-12 to start this season. Gosh, I wonder why. The Big Ten was the only team or the only conference that didn't play 10 games last year in their conference. Their teams played seven, six or seven, depending on how healthy they were. Pac-12 teams were lucky to play five games. Lucky. Why even bother? I mean, just the, the poor leadership that has been at the helm of the Pac-12 for so long has absolutely crippled this conference. Crippled them. And then finally, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, look, strength of schedule is, has been a big issue uh, for the you know for the for the Pac-12, Pac-12 continues to to schedule at a very high rate. Pac-12 teams continually finish. All 12 Pac teams continually finish in the top 50 of strength of schedule every single season. Meanwhile, SEC gets to schedule three cupcakes a year. ACC gets to schedule three cupcakes. They're playing you know William and Mary and all these other. I mean, you get to play all these other schools because they're regionally located. You don't have to leave the state. Florida's leaving the state for a non-con game. Uh, in, for the first time since like 1987 or some crap like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, strength of schedule. Pac-12 continues to travel for games. They play better contests out of the out of their conference, and they get beat. You know, we don't get to beat up on the Sun Belt or the Southland Conference. Okay, um, you know, we're not we're not playing those guys. We're playing Mountain West, one of the best non-power five conferences in the country. The WAC, which has produced a lot of NFL talent over the years. It's apples and oranges. We're beating ourselves. But it all goes back to leadership and money. Thankfully, hopefully, we have a guy in place now in George Klyovkov that's going to start to turn that around. But it's going to be a long turnaround, folks. Just like the, the changes here at Arizona for Jed Fish, so is equally the task of George Klyovkov in the Pac-12. We're going to take a timeout when we return. We'll continue to uh, talk some college football. We'll start to turn towards the Friday Five and some NFL picks and big games coming up 
It's a football Friday right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, the NFL continues to push their agenda on things that we never asked for. As it was announced this morning that the opening weekend of the NFL playoffs will now stretch to a third day with a Monday night game being announced by the league earlier this morning. Super Wild Card Weekend, which is going to be the first weekend of the playoffs, is going to be taking place from January 15th through the 17th this year. We'll have two games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, and then a finale on Monday Night Football. The NFL has expanded the playoffs, of course. Uh, they expanded them last year for the first time since 1990. Last year they played three on Saturday, three on Sunday, during what they're calling Super Wild Card Weekend. And now for this season, they're going to have the Monday night game. Now, again, nobody asked for this, and I'm sure I'm pretty sure that coaches uh, across the board are not very happy about it because here's what happens with the competitive balance with having the Monday night game. Now, some people are saying, well, it's no difference of playing on a Sunday than playing on the Saturday, mm. unless the Monday night road team is the winner. Okay. If the Monday Night Road team wins, they lose a day off, and there's a there's a possibility they could play on Saturday because the host teams have to know seven days in advance whether or not they're hosting and who they're playing. So there's a possibility that if a road team goes on the road to play on this Monday Night game, that they have to turn around, they lose a day off, and they have to play on Saturday. Huge competitive imbalance there competitive disadvantage for that team again things that we did not ask for <laughs> i don't get it and more taunting penalties to come this weekend of course as well the jeff dean show continues quick turnaround two minutes away is my friday five stay tuned all my picks for the weekend are next right here on the jeff dean show on espn tucson